Hey, what's up, everybody? Paul's not here today, so I guess I have to do the introduction. Hey, y'all, there's no Paul. <laughs> hey, where's Paul? Paul is traveling right now. No, that's my Paul, We want to go where you're at. I know. I think Paul is a emergency job stop right now to make sure that everything is all good with uh, something that he's got going on. So uh, today, what we're going to be talking about is uh, no wrong way to start your business. Um, there is never any perfect time, right? I always like to try and relate it to uh, having kids. When are you ready to have kids? You, you're not, not until they just pop out and then you just got to roll with the punches. We got a couple of guests here today. We're actually over uh, near Detroit right now at a training. So we got <clears throat> Dave Garden from CFI. We have, you go by Joe or Joey? Joey Zago. Joey Zago from the Carpet Guys. As you can see the Zago, Zago, doesn't matter, right? It's all the same. Tomato, tomato. And then we got people hiding back here too. We got Angel. We got Angel. Y'all got to get in here too and come introduce yourselves. I'm Angel. I'm an installer from uh, South Haven, Florida area, small town. Do a lot of work in Grand Rapids, mostly freelance. Um, happy to be here. Happy to listen, learn. What are you going to be doing? I'm going to be a certified. Uh, Teaching a five-week class. Teaching That's a five-week class. He's he's learning, here learning, learning, to learn. learning, to learn. learning to teach. So you know when oh Jim, we got Jimmy back here. Jimmy Salisbury from Westfield, Indiana. So we got a lot of people on here today. So and Crystal sends out. Oh yeah, Crystal's over here, but they do see you too much. You've been on a few of them already. So when you're, when you're starting your business, um, like when Jose and I started in 2010, it was actually a horrible time because it was the month that my, my first kid was born. And it was like, uh, basically starting off with nothing and trying to, to pick up pieces and figure things out as we went. So as you can see, you know, we were 12, 13 years deep now. Um, we've got some some roots in the industry and trying to to just, you know, build everything up, but it wasn't always this easy. Um, a lot of the times you hey, Paul is jumping on. A lot of the times you uh just have to that's what you have to do. And like I said, it's like having a kid, you you go in and think that it's gonna be one way, and then the kid proves to you that what you thought is not how things are gonna go. And then you just pick things up and move along. So, hey, Paul, how's it going? What's up, guys? Hey, I already I had to do the introduction since you weren't here. He didn't do it very well. My man, coming coming through in the clutch. Trying. So we Good got a, we got a few people over here. I see some familiar faces. <laughs> Yep. So I was just saying how, you know, we, we started in 2010 um, around when my first kid was going to be born and there's really never a perfect time to start a business. And uh, you're just learning as you go, just like when, when you have a kid, right? It's figure things out. That's all you can do. Most times, uh, most times businesses are started by entrepreneurs who when working out of necessity, they're out of want. Right. No one ever wakes up in the morning and says, I want to be responsible for 10, 15, 20, 1,000 people. I don't think anybody ever wakes up saying that. It's uh, it's the passion for what you do, and maybe your values don't meet uh, the people you're working with or working for. So that's what leads you down your own path of entrepreneurship. And was I ever ready? No. <laughs> Do I ever think I'd be ready to take the next step in, inside? No, right? But you have to do it. You got to take that leap of faith. You, you, you got it. You're going to regret not ever trying if that is in the back of your mind. And, you know, you guys can hear it from me all day. I'm pretty sure you've heard it from me before, but so we got guests on today so they can uh, give a little insight on, on who, what, when, and why uh, they started their business. So, yeah, it's, it's hard to hear you. So, you're going to have to, we're going to have to switch spots. Joe, you can go, Joe, you you can go first. He, I mean, you you do got a great story. I'm actually going to move out of the way too, because I'm going to go 
share this to some people. That was a train wreck. <laughs> See, man, I, I, How far I you want me to go back? Way back. <laughs> well, I still remember the the address of the Macomb County Youth Home, 380 North Rose Road, Mount Clemens, Michigan. That's the juvenile detention center I lived at for most of my uh, teenage years. <laughs> my my parents were school teachers. Uh, my dad taught accounting, and my mom taught visually impaired students. And I went to, uh, when I got into public school where they were teaching. I got kicked out of every class, and you know, I had to be the attention grabber. For whatever reason, I never felt that I was good enough to fit in, so I wanted to stand out somehow so that people would like me. And uh, I was very oppositional. Uh, if somebody told me to do this, I would do the opposite. I was very anti-authority. Didn't like listening to anybody who told me what to do. And uh, it was things that uh, were once upon a time really bad things actually became lifesavers sometime down the road. Uh, when I eventually got out of school, I saw an ad in the paper for shampooing carpets for $400 a week. And uh, I, I was living in my aunt's basement. She said, you got to have a job if you're going to live here, son. And, uh, so I, I saw Jack's car wash and shampooing carpets. And Jack's car wash, and I figured that would be the best job because I could get paid cash. I wouldn't have to claim it on any sort of taxes. I could meet pretty girls and get free car washes. I'd probably pocket a few tips. What, what school did you go to? What's that? What I school? Strong High School until we got kicked out. Really? What year? Should have been ninety three. I got ninth grade. That's as far as oh, I you're finished. young. I only finished ninth. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't, I didn't graduate. I got a. I got a GED. I got a good enough diploma. Good enough. Yeah, I got one. <laughs> uh, and that was only because I was on probation. I had, to, I had to get a GED. Show show the probation officer I was doing something with my life. And uh, and that was the extent of my community college as well. Was every time I was in trouble, I went to community college. Oh, he's in college. He's really you know he's good. We feel sorry for him. Anyway. Um, the job, the job at Jack's Car Wash was closed, wasn't available, so I got a job shampooing carpets. And it was a blind ad, not shampooing carpets, actually. It was selling Kirby vacuum cleaners door to door. And they said, if you could shampoo a room of carpet, and if you shampooed five carpets, one out of five people would want to buy the thing off you because it's so good. And then if you sell it, you make commission. And you get the $400 a week or the commission of $250, whichever is greater of the two. So if you sell one in a week, you make $400. bucks. So two in a week, you make $500 because it exceeds the 400 so it was whichever was greater was sort of thing. And so I brought that home and I, and I, and I told my aunt my job. And she said, I thought you were going to go work at the car wash. And she goes, you should go work at the car wash. Boy. I said, it wasn't available. Well, how about the Chi-Chi's restaurant? I said, yeah, they fired me <laughs> back there. Oh, I thought you just quit. No, no, I mean, and so I said, well, um, yeah, so what's this job again? And I said, well, it's shampooing carpets, but it's really for Kirby vacuum. She goes, what? My nephew is going to be selling vacuum cleaners. You can't make money selling vacuum cleaners. What's your dad going to think of you? And I told my dad about it. My dad says, but my son's not going to sell vacuum cleaners. You can't make money selling vacuum cleaners. And so I was going to quit, but everyone telling me that I couldn't do it, that oppositional behavior that I had that was just, you know, I just wanted to rebel against what they said I couldn't do. And so I never had any sales experience. I had no, no people skills whatsoever. I just worked stupid basic jobs that were no-brainer jobs. And uh, I watched some people that I didn't think were very sharp or bright. And I thought I was a lot slicker than they were making seven, 800 bucks, a thousand dollars in a week. And I was like, man, if that idiot can make 700 or a thousand bucks a week, I was 19. Mm -hmm. I said, I could do better than that. And so I eventually learned how to communicate with customers, how to, how to overcome objections, how to close sales. And I became a pretty darn good salesperson selling vacuum cleaners door to door. It was a hard sale though, because it was a $1,500 vacuum cleaner that we were selling to somebody you know, typically a, a wife at home by herself while her husband is at work and she wasn't expecting us. We were knocking on their door, giving her a bottle of Tide to take a look at my cleaning products. And that's how we got it. We knocked on, that's how we learned how to knock on doors also. <laughs> and I became a rejection specialist because I'd have to knock on 50 doors before I'd get them to one out. <laughs> so it gave me thick skin. So all these little things in my younger life eventually became blessings despite, you know, how much I hated them at the time. Fast forward, I, uh, I, uh, after selling vacuums for several years, I didn't know anything about carpet, but I knew what destroyed carpet was the sand and the grit and all that other stuff we've gotten to the base of it. And so when I saw an Empire commercial on TV, I said, hey, I remember that commercial from Chicago and I used to stay out there. And so I said, that's a good company. And so I applied at Empire today, well, it was Empire Home Services back then in Livonia, they just come to Detroit. And they weren't going to hire me because I had, I, you know, they were only hiring me to your carpet. Account. I had no carpet experience. I didn't know anything about it except for Buzzy Saito. And, uh, 
they they half the time they wouldn't return my call. I was very persistent. And finally, I showed up at the door there and I, and I talked to the sales manager over there. And he says, anybody that's this persistent to be you know told no on the phone, be ignored by three of us, and then show up on the door. If you're that persistent, you've got to be a hell of a salesperson, especially since you sold these $1,500 vacuum cleaners. So they gave me a shot. And within six months, I was running circles around the top guys. And uh, so that became my career in sales. I, I became a really good salesperson for them. Uh, one of their top in the country and and was number one consistently in, in Detroit. And uh, they moved over to Belleville. And then we, before we know it, we had 35 salespeople. And, and I was you know, always between one and two. And um, I left Empire. There was some things that took place that I wasn't really happy with. Uh, you know, it just run me really, really severely the wrong way. And I decided I was going to leave. And uh, I went to sell basement waterproofing. It was a completely different type of sale. I hated it, but I was good at it because I was good at sales. And then uh, a bunch of people that left Empire at the same time I did went down to Arizona to work for Express Flooring for Jerry Letter. And Jerry had a company here in Down River called Fairway. And they partnered with a guy named Brad with Sun Flooring in Phoenix, and they formed Express Flooring. And it was before Empire got to the market. They basically copied the Empire way of the you know, stock shop at home, install next day, but they got to Phoenix before Empire got to Phoenix. And so they really set the stage in that market. Mm -hmm and trailblazed the whole area. And that market was growing super, super fast. I mean, Phoenix was this big, then the next year was this big, then the next year was this big. And Scottsdale, all the surrounding suburbs just became massive overnight. So they really hit it out of the park. And I got there in 2007. And then at the end of 2008, when the economy started tanking, um, it was like they were shell-shocked. But most of the salespeople were, you know, like, we can't sell, they were quitting because like, oh, no one's buying. They were just panicking. But I was used to selling, you know, the people that were afraid to spend money because I was in Michigan. You know, I mean, Detroit's economy was tanked for 20 years. These guys are like, you know, so I, I, I had thicker skin. I didn't quit. And a lot of people quit and I stuck it out. Uh, but a few months later, I got a DUI. And it was my second DUI. And so when I got DUI in seven years, my license was revoked. And I was facing having to go to jail in their tenth city, which is their, their little pink prison out in the, out in the desert. Here in Joe, Ohio made, made a mockery of their, their jail inmates. So. I was facing going to going to jail over there for that, and uh, I had a way out of way out of going to Tent City and just having to go to county jail if I moved back to Michigan. And so I uh, I, I toyed with the idea of coming back to Michigan, um, but originally I hired a driver out there to drive me to my sales boss. And my boss was helping pitch in for the price of a driver because I was one of his top salespeople over there. I wasn't their number one there, but I was within their top three. Um, and so he invested in hiring this girl to drive me around, but this girl was half the time she was there and half the time she wasn't. So when she wasn't, I'd drive illegally. One time I was going to cash my check and I made an illegal left turn into the parking lot to go cash my check. And I saw in my rear mirror, a cop make a U-turn. So he saw me make the illegal turn and I took off and I got away with it. And, uh, but what happened was I was 35 years old and I said, what the hell am I doing? I'm running from the cops at 35 years old. You know, this is crazier than the shit I was doing when I was, excuse me, can I swear? Yeah. Yeah, you're good. <laughs> this is crazier than the stuff I was doing when I was 15 years old when I was in another group. And so uh, I, I, I just said it to my boss. I said, I can't do this. Said, well, we'll get you another driver. I just, I, you know, every time I see my dad, he looks older. You know, I, I almost got this girl pregnant in Arizona when I was down here. What happens if, you know, what happens if I'd have started a family down there and my parents are old and they need me? And, you know, I said, I, you know, my life, I, I just need to get back, back to Michigan. And uh, so, after three years of being in Arizona, I left Arizona and went back to Michigan, and I immediately went back to Empire today. They within a week or so, they a couple people heard that I was back and said, "You should come back. We'll get you a driver. We'll do this and that." And so I was like, "Okay, I'll do that." And so when I went to went to Empire and I met with uh, two of my old bosses, I remembered really quickly after a few minutes why I left in the first place, and I just went home that day and I was like, "No, no I'm going back here." And so I was faced with, you know, with my house is in foreclosure, the one that I had in Michigan. I lost my place in Arizona. Um, my car, I was hiding from the repo guy for about nine months, and they finally got that. Uh, and I eventually I went bankrupt, and I was living in my friend's house in his basement. And they were renting a house in St. Clair Shores, but the landlord wasn't paying the mortgage on the, with the rent money, so the house went to foreclosure. So now we're squatting, now we're squatting in a house that's, that's none of ours. Uh, I got out of having to go to Tenth City, but I had to, the deal was I had to go to jail for 30 days in, here in Michigan. But instead of going to jail, because the jail was overcrowded, the prosecutor made an agreement with the prosecutor in Arizona saying, we'll put him on a five-year probation, we'll put him on a house arrest feather instead. 
And the lady in Arizona was pissed off about it, but they said, you know, well, we have real criminals in Michigan. We're not going to stick them in jail and overcrowded jail for a DUI. We'll monitor them or you can come get them. So they, they said, okay, he can stay on the tether. And so I was in a house arrest tether. I couldn't leave the house from nine o'clock at night till seven in the morning. So we started throwing after hours parties in the basement of this house. We'd hire a DJ, we'd buy a bunch of liquor. We charge people $10 a head to come in. It was three o'clock in the morning when it would start. By that time, people are already wasted. And if they're, you know, if they're not wasted, they're doing drugs. They're not spending the liquor money anyways. And so we figured, okay, if we spend $500 on liquor and we get 100 people in the house, we're going to walk away with at least three or $400 a piece between me and some of the roommates. And that's what we did. We did it three days a week. And that's we ran a illegal club out of this <laughs> house that wasn't even ours. And uh, the gas got shut off. So we put a bunch of space heaters in there. But thank God we had electricity. So the DJ equipment worked. There's entrepreneurial yeah. and then there's yeah. you, right? <laughs> and so this is, I'm just giving you the background story. So. So I didn't want to go work to Empire. Um, I'm just going to share with you. I'm just being very truthful with you know the good, the bad, the ugly. Transparency is phenomenal. The, the the ugly part about it was I had I was an alcoholic. Uh, I I drank every day. I drank every day for a lot of years. Uh, I didn't drink because I was lonely or depressed. I didn't drink when I was by myself. I drank because I wanted to have a good time. But I did it every day. I, did, I was in the nightclub business as well. I was a promoter. I, I was a good promoter. And so part of being a good promoter is you're at the at the clubs making friends with people and promoting your next party. And so I did that every single day for a lot of years in Arizona and Chicago here in, in Miami. And um, so that's that's what I did. And so I was uh, still throwing these parties in this house. And one night I smoked cigarettes. I used to smoke Newports. I'd smoke a pack and a half or so a day. And I did that since I was 13 years old. And I was about 35 or 36 at that point. And uh, it was, I ran out of cigarettes. It was about 1 o'clock, 1.30 in the morning and I was drunk. I was supposed to be drinking, but the tether didn't test if I was drunk. It just tested if I was in the location. And uh, so I, I asked people to go to the 7-Eleven two miles up the street to go give them a pet smoke, and nobody would. I'm like, what's going on? I have this great big car. No, I'm too messed up to drive, man. What are you, crazy? I'm like, come on, dude. It's a mile away. I'm trying to talk these people into drunk driving because you know, <laughs> I, I thought it was normal. You know? and, uh, and I was getting angry. And finally, I got out of, out, out of drunken frustration. I ripped the tether off my ankle, and I threw it on the, on the table. I'm like, dude, you're crazy. You're going to go to jail. I said, I don't care. Those are my words. I said the other words, but I don't want to say it on here. Um, and uh, nobody was going to give me their keys. So there was this girl that was passed out of the floor. I just found somebody this a few minutes ago. And I went into her purse. And this day, I don't even know who this girl was. She was just passed out in a bra and a skirt, laying on the floor, drunk. Her beer was spilled next to her. No one was cleaning up the beer because the house was in foreclosure. They cared about the wooden floors. Uh, and I went in her purse and I started going down the street hitting the alarm button until I found a Jeep with lights blinking. And I hopped in her car and I went to 7-Eleven, drunk off my ass. You know, it would have been three DUIs in a row in five years if I would have got caught that night. And I went to 7-Eleven, I got smokes and I came back and on the way back, I saw this car roaring up behind me in the rear view mirror. Like, oh, I'm panicking. My heart dropped and I had this sinking feeling in my stomach thinking, oh shit, that's a cop. What did I do? You know, I mean, I know what I'm doing. I just don't know what, what I did to get his attention. And as I'm looking in the mirror, I hit the curb. So now I'm you know, drunk going over the curb and I'm thinking it was a cop and the car went around me and it wasn't a cop. I was, I was I just like, oh my God, I got, I was saved. You know, like, cause if I would've got caught right there, it would've been three DUIs, felony DUI in this much time, mm -hmm. which would've put me felony, would've gone to prison for no less than two years. And then they, by the way, they found the car, whose car is it? I don't know. Stolen car too. I mean, I would have gone to prison for two to five years. My life would have been. It wasn't looking really good for no. you at that point. Plus, I was on probation. I wasn't even supposed to leave the house. I was on a house arrest tether, and I called out for services and lied to them. Says my tether broke up, broke off in my in my in my sleep, and I can't get anyone to drive me up there to test until the morning. And so, I mean, all I mean, lie after lie after lie, and uh, yeah. So the, so I got back and I and I started drinking a bunch of water and I went tested the next morning. And I, I, by God's grace, I blew zero. And, uh, but the next day I said, you know what, I got to finish this house arrest thing. I got to mess this up and I just got to quit drinking. So the next day it was the Super Bowl Sunday and uh, we had another party planned. And by seven or eight o'clock that, that evening, people were already demolished because it was Super Bowl. It didn't have to be three o'clock in the morning. And people started all day and drank all day. And I'm sober and I'm just irritated. Number one, I'm going through withdrawals from drinking every day and all of a sudden not drinking out of nowhere. And people are coming up to me, hugging me. Man, this was a great party, man. Slobber and Sam, I love you, Joe, man. You're the greatest mother, you know. And, uh, and I'm just getting irritated and angry. And uh, thinking to myself, is this what I'm like when I'm blind? You know, and, and I just kind of isolated myself in my room for like an hour. And I, I started thinking to myself, 
what would have happened if that was a complex thing? What would I be doing right now? I wouldn't be at this party. You know, I'd be in county jail right now, you know, waiting for it, probably going over to, probably going to be sent over to prison. And if I go to prison, you know, you know, then what? You know, if I was lucky enough to avoid prison and stay in county jail, I'd be begging, to, you know, God, get me out of this and I'll never do it again. Please give me work release so I can just work and sleep, sleep in the jail. I'd be, you know, and so what I did at that moment, when I went back out of the room and out of my room and everyone's still drunk off their butts, I kicked everybody out. And I started looking around the room and I'm crying as I'm looking around the room. I remember feeling the tears in my face as I'm looking at these people that were saying they love me. They've known me since I was a kid. They're my best friends. And I'm thinking to myself, if I did go to jail last night and I went to Jackson prison an hour and a half up the road, who would come to visit me? And I started looking around and I said, that person might. No, no, no way. No, no, maybe. No, no. And then I started asking myself, who would even take the time to, to get the paperwork to fill out to be on my visitor's list? No, no, no. At that moment, I realized that I had to change my life. My life was more out of control than it was ever before. And so I, uh, I kicked everybody out and uh, I knew how to sell carpet. I wasn't going to go back to work for Empire. And there was a I knew a couple of installers from when I worked in Empire, uh, and they were slow. And so they said, well, what, Joe, why don't you get the carpet from Warsource? I said, what's Warsource? Warsource? Warsource is a local, you know, wholesale, you know, to the trade. They said, get an account over there and you can, you, they'll give you samples. And I said, okay. So I go over and I get samples from these guys. And it was 2009. So the economy was tanked beginning of 2010 and 2000, beginning of 2010, it was super low. So it was quite work. And, um, they gave me samples. They said, "Here, have at it." You know, you know. They, I mean, nobody's buying anything right now, and uh, I didn't have a license, and you know, I couldn't take credit cards. Nobody, I could, no merchant would sign me up because I was bankrupt. You know, and then you know, there was no financing back then for anybody. <laughs> and so uh, I, I just, I knew what I, I did what I knew. I knocked you doors. Well with What's that? You did real well with that. Uh, knocking doors. No, working with floor sauce. Oh yeah, you, you well not at first. Man. First, it was just me. Yeah, you, know, you made a name for yourself over there, that's for sure. And it was because you could sell more than anything else. I had to generate leads. Because yeah. I can't sell if I can't get in front of the company. And so I uh you know, when the topic is, you know, when it's never time to when's the best time to start a business, best time to start a business is right now. Most people go into business and they they you know they, they think I gotta come up with the perfect plan, I've got to do this. They spend months and months and months planning with no execution. Meanwhile, they're going broker and broker and broker. Now they don't have any capital to start anything. I started with nothing. I had nothing, no investors. I had no money except for the money from the night before the Super Bowl party. You know, I mean, I had maybe $250, $300 in my, in, my, in my name. And so, but I did know how to make a flyer on a printer. I knew how to knock on doors because I did that in Kirby, selling vacuum cleaners, $1,500 vacuum cleaners. So people were expecting me to draw on the door. Uh, and I knew that I, I knew the laws of averages that if I, I you know, if I want to get in front of three customers in a day, then I, I've got to, I've got to be able to knock enough doors to do it. And so, I, uh, I, when I was on house arrest, I, uh, I watched the documentary The Secret on YouTube, which you can still look up The Secret on YouTube. It costs nothing; you can watch it. I thought it was a bunch of focus, focus nonsense when it was first introduced to me. But I said, you know what, my way is not working. Maybe I should shut up and listen to what these successful people say to do and do what they do. And uh, my old boss used to say, if you do what they do, you get what they got. And so I just tried to copy mentors' habits in my past. And then I also listened to Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People on audiobook. I'm not a very good reader, um, but uh, but I can retain things through audio. And so I listened to that over and over again. And uh, they gave me the motivation to write down goals. Instead of thinking about goals, my old boss used to say, if you wish in one hand and shit in the other one, it's going to go flow faster. He says the one with substance. He goes, <laughs> so, you know, thinking of your goals is nothing. You have to write them down on paper and put them places so that way you actually see them. And make, you know, and uh, and, the, and the secret they talked about a vision board. So I made my first vision board, and my vision board was uh, I put a picture of a yellow Corvette with my mom's face on it because that was her dream car. So one day I hoped to buy her dream car. My uh, my I wrote all these silly goals that were completely unrealistic, and one of the goals was because when I worked at Empire and Express, I my, the most I ever made in a year was ninety two thousand to that point as a salesperson. Uh, I was a good salesperson, but I worked nine months of the year and I took a lot of time off and wasted all my money and went back to work at the club again. Um, that, that's what I did. I was an idiot. Um, uh, so I so I, I said, what, what would be a completely unrealistic goal? I've got no driver's license. I've got no car. I've got no credit. You know, there's not a single credit card that would ever sign me up. 
uh, except for my free spirit MasterCard that I had from from uh, Barclay Bank out of the UK. After my bankruptcy, they didn't catch it, so I still had that six hundred dollar credit line. And that's all I had. And uh, I said, well, I'd like to figure out a way to make $100,000. So that was the, the big goal. How do I make $100,000 a year? Don't know how I'm going to figure that out. Uh, and I then I started working backwards. And I said, if I can get in front of three customers a day, three leads a day, I'd sell two out of the three. And from April until the end of the year, I can sell 300000 if I can get in front of three customers a day. And I said, okay, so three leads a day equals 300 k By that time, I had a girlfriend. We, we moved out of the foreclosed house, and I moved into her condo that she was renting for an apartment. And she was irritated with me because I put these yellow sticky notes all over the place on the milk jug, next to the toothbrush, on her alarm clock, on her rear view mirror, in her car. You know, every place I could put said three leads a day equals 300 k And I stared at it all day long, everywhere I went, I couldn't miss it. And I figured three leads a day, 300 k If I could sell 300000 a third of the money would go to the labor. A third of the money would go to the materials, and a third of the money would be profit, which would be IT. So if I could sell three hundred thousand by the end of the year, I'll make hundred k. And then so you know, I just kept on working. I just knocked on hundred doors a day because if I knocked on hundred doors a day, thirty or forty of them would be home. You know, one out of every ten of them would have ugly carpet because carpet you know looks good for a year, looks okay yeah. for the second year, looks kind of okay for the third year. By the seventh and eighth year, it looks like shit. So <laughs> so I figured if I knock enough doors, I'm gonna you know come across enough people to have ugly carpet in their family. And so that's what I did. And, and before you knew it, um, the girl I was dating started driving me around. Uh, I convinced her to be my chauffeur. So I could, I ran out of doors to knock and sing for her shortly. Um, and I started uh, using my promoter skills from when I was a nightclub promoter on MySpace and Facebook. And, and uh, uh, Instagram wasn't really out there at that point. It just started. Um, but I was using social media and stuff. Yeah. MySpace. Yeah. Tom, Tom, thanks, Tom. Thanks, Tom. <laughs> Um, top eight yeah oh yeah <laughs> and you know i had forty thousand friends on myspace from the nightclubs you know but i but i use ope other people's energy and that ope what did i do when i was a nightclub promoter i got other other people to be sub promoters so i'm not the only one out there flyering cards and promoting i got these people to advertise for me and get people to the club and they would give a promoter code and when they got to the door to get half off cover so i could track you know got the kpis going the key performance indicators of who's performing who's not and the person the top three promoters got a free bottle of, of champagne or whatever it was of the night they got a vip thing so they got to be a baller for the night and so i had 10 little sub promoters making my party good and they did the energy 10 times what i could do i learned how to you know motivate other people and and that was a blessing also because when i started my business i couldn't just i couldn't scale anything until i was able to get other people to do a lot of that I, i'm the power of one you know but if i can get 50 or 100 people to do stuff then great so anyways uh i uh I, my girlfriend was driving me around and uh, I paid all of her bills first with what we made and then everything else after that was split. And uh, that first year around November, middle of November, right around Thanksgiving, I uh, decided I was gonna count the money. And I didn't I didn't take my eye off the ball at that point until that day. And I said, let's see where we're at. I wanna look at this three leads a day. Where are we at? Are we at 300,000? How much more do we have to do? And we're already over 300,000. So I said, holy crap. I have a revoked driver's license, no house. I'm living in my girlfriend's place, and I made a hundred thousand dollars this year. How the hell did that happen? <laughs> you know, this goal stuff really works. Where'd so the money I, go? What's that? <laughs> Where'd the money go? I went back into advertising because I needed to generate leads that were further away from. So you know, and then I started doing uh, Facebook advertising, and then Google pay per click, and things like that. And uh, and then the, so I said, let's think of a bigger outlandish goal. And so the next year, I said, let's go for a million dollars. There's no way you're gonna go for three hundred thousand to a million. Try it anyways. We were 1.6 million. And by that point, I it was me as a salesperson and the guy that I had driving me around after my girlfriend eventually dumped me. I hired my friend to drive me around. And while he was driving me around, I convinced him to come into the houses with me and I taught him how to sell. So now I had to, I hired another driver. He was selling and I was selling. And then before you know it, a couple of guys from Empire that I used to work with said, Hey Joe, you know, I'm coming back to Michigan also, you know, but I don't want to go back to that place, man. You know, hey, we got a spot. You know, well, what kind of commission is it? I said, better than how it was over there because our, our prices were lower because we had no overhead. Okay, you know, it's so the next thing I know. I had four salespeople, and uh, and then next year we did three and a half million, and then we did five million, then six, then nine, then eleven, then thirteen, and then eighteen, and then twenty, and then twenty again, and then we've been thirty million the last two three years. And so, I mean, and we just scaled. You know, and um, well, that's going to be a hard story to follow up. <laughs> <laughs> 
Thanks. Joey's real long-winded too. He can keep on going. All right. Yeah. No, that's yeah. awesome. Now, yeah, at, that's at any point, were you like, did you ever doubt yourself? Like, why did I do this? You know what? I was I was blessed with you know people have different acronyms for God. I believe in God, Jesus, everybody, but people have other things that I've heard in my AA program that I go to, and one of the things that I hear is the gift of desperation. Some people use that as their their definition of their higher power. That's the first time I've ever seen that. And uh, I was I had that gift of desperation. I had nothing to lose, but I had anything to gain. I had no car, no home, yeah, no vehicle, no heat in the house. And so I had, you know, I I always wanted to own my own business because I looked at entrepreneurs and said, man, you know, my old boss, man, he was 28 years old, was driving around on a Viper and had a million dollars in the bank. He came from nothing when he was 20. I said, man, if that idiot can do it, I could do it. And, and that not, person could do it. And I not only that, you you got the sales background, right? And as a salesman, you're pretty much, no matter who you work for, you're kind of working for yourself anyway, because everything that you're selling is based on your personality and, and being able to sell. Ever since I was in Kirby, I always did sales because I like the idea of being able to turn my determine my own wages. I never wanted to work at Ford because no matter how hard I worked or how lazy I was, as long as I did just enough to get by, they were going to determine how much I was worth. If I worked extra hard that week, are they, am I going to get a raise that week or do I get paid extra? No. But in sales, if I worked harder and I devoted to my trade and I got really, really good at it, I determined my own work. You, you get what you put in. Right. And that's what I that's what I always liked because I was competitive in sports and I was competitive, you know, against myself. You know, and uh we had a conversation about that. that. Competitive people. Yeah, it, it, you know, that that ego, you know, was ego's been my amigo and also not my amigo and other things, you know, but uh that that that, that ego, that drive, that competitiveness is, is something that really pushed me. I wanted to be the best guy for the only best guy who wants to I wanted to be the best best guy in that fire. And uh, and um yeah. What about you there, Paul? I know that was kind of a, a, a long, long one there, but well, first well, I'll take I, the Sorry I got here late, guys. I uh, wanted to bring up a couple of things that I heard here that was like, I wrote down a bunch of stuff while you were talking. Persistence that you have had regardless of the conditions, and you had that natural thick skin that you know, you're able to be told no and keep driving towards, you know, you didn't even have goals probably at that time because it sounds like from your story, the goals came later, but you kind of did. You still knew that you wanted better than what you had at that moment. And that thick skin and then just pure old entrepreneurship <laughs> from being a club promoter to, you know, having the due diligence to, to seek out more knowledge the secret for for um, those who don't know is just basically it's very core. Just like think about what you want. Quit thinking yeah. about the the bad things in life and think about what you want. That's if you broke it all down and took all the fluff away and just did that, it it can uh, be a great um, help to you know getting through some of the tough times. But also. I wrote down, it's never too late to get your shit together. <laughs> it's like, you started yeah, you started, I, I just, I admire people who have taken a tough road uh, and, you know, had the, the thick skin and the persistence and this, this thought in their head, whether it's been distilled down into actual goals yet or not. It's like this thought in their head that they can do it, like this unshakable thought that, like, I can do this. I can do whatever it is. Um, my story's pretty quick, but what I want to point out to everybody, this is about not really having, there's no right way or best way to start a business. There's some best practices, like, <laughs> you know, and a lot of those, it sounds like you had it they kind of came natural to you almost. And what I mean by that is the, the natural instinct that I know salesmen who've been around for 20 years that don't do what you just said, which is, you know, if is working backwards from a big goal, if you have a big goal and you work backwards and break that into daily activities, that's how you succeed. It doesn't have a, a lot to do with the planning. Planning's good to an extent, but then you could, 
you can uh what do they call that like um paralysis analysis you know you can just keep trying to reinvent the wheel until you've wasted so much time that it's it's uh you look back and you're like well i didn't get much done and where the action takers they just go do fail do fail do fail and and learn from that uh i heard a good analogy once that you know when i'm we are blown away at how precise these missiles can be that the that the defense departments have and the fact is is that they're off course about 98 percent of the time they're constantly getting feedback as they're going towards the target until they hit the target it's actually the failure of it that creates the 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 precision and success and so you know there while there may not be a perfect moment or a perfect time to start a business having the gumption to do it is first and then the the natural instincts you had to work backwards from a goal and create daily activities that that serve that goal i mean i know i know businessmen like i said that have been doing it for 20 years and don't approach life that way so kudos awesome story it was definitely something i learned from those two I, I was I was dumb enough to listen and finally smart enough to follow through. I guess I would say, you know, I eventually, I eventually got life kicked my ass so many times because I wasn't born with any disabilities. I was born with a mental disability because I'm I'm hard headed, you know, and, and I didn't listen to people. And finally, I you know those that those disabilities that were self inflicted, uh, you know, eventually made me um, finally surrender and say, you know what, maybe I should just shut up and listen to what these people that are doing it the right way. Maybe I should just copy what they're doing. And so uh, the two things that I that, that were really brought to me was that movie, The Secret, the, the, and watching that over and over and over again, and then listen to Stephen Covey's highly Seven Habits of Highly Effective People because I didn't work. I didn't. That wasn't my natural way of doing. It. I learned that. I didn't invent that. Somebody trained it to me through by listening to that audiobook. And the, one of the first ones it is is start with the end in mind. And it, in that audiobook that I haven't listened to for several years, I remember very clearly. It says, "Close your eyes and picture your funeral." You know, if you picture your funeral, you're dead in the box and all your friends are coming up, your family's coming up and they're saying their prayers and they're, you can hear them in the distance, you know, talking about you and memories they had with you. What do you want them saying about you? How do you impact their life? What do you do with this life? You know, what do you want them saying about you? What do you hope that they can say about you? You know, okay, so that's your, that's your, it's morbid, but that's your, that's your end, you know, on earth at least, that's your end, you know? And so what do you want to accomplish at the, at the end of that period of time? And what kind of you know outlandish goal would it is it? I mean, is is your goal to help people? Is your goal to be successful financially? Is your goal to uh, create something or whatever it may be? Is your goal to change the way somebody on earth does something? What's your life goal? How do you in, what what do you do in this world mm-hmm. that made a difference? And you know what do you want them saying about you at your funeral? Flex. Now 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 when you're there, you know how do you work backwards? If you're driving through the night from Detroit to to Miami, you can only see you know, 150 feet ahead of you. But when you get 100 feet up, you can see another 150 feet ahead of you. When you're 100 feet up, you can see another 150 feet ahead of you. So if you look at this roadmap from Detroit to Miami, you know that it's a 25-hour drive. The halfway point's going to be Atlanta. Halfway between Atlanta and there is going to be Columbus. You know, halfway between, you know, so you have checkpoints along the way. So you know where the end is. Now you work back, way to backwards to find the most direct route. So that's just something that and, that and that's, that's that kind that of course. like where, where, the, where the podcast came from and why the name is The Huddle, right? Because Paul's a, a huge football fan, so we're related to sports, and it's kind of like what you said, you know, as, as a, a football player, you're looking at that next first down, so sometimes you get knocked back, but what are you going to do to get that next first down, and it's just, that's... I love how it relates to sports, you know, Babe Ruth was was the, the strikeout king, people didn't look at him as a strikeout king, right? he was a home run king until 74, and Hank Garrett finally passed him, right, but up until way after that, he struck out more than any batter in history of baseball. Anytime you ask him what he was thinking about, I was thinking about hitting home runs, you know. And and Michael Jordan missed more free throws, more more jump shots, more layups, more you know. He had he failed over and over and over and over and over again, but he wasn't afraid to try, you know. And, and like the launch, we were talking about the missiles. I mean, you, you got to launch. You know, if you sit there on the launching pad thinking, okay, I got to figure this, I got to figure this. no, f that launch, you know, and and, and just as you go, you know that that would be my. my it's never going to be perfect. I've watched so many right? people try to plan their way, and then before you know it, they're they're broken. They can't start. Here's the thing. Yeah. For me, it was uh, 
I wouldn't have any. Wouldn't have a job. Nobody'd hire me. Right. So <laughs> create my own business. <laughs> that's uh, that's 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 the, that's the way it was. It wasn't to talk about the right time to do it. The right time to do it was the fact that I didn't have a job. And uh, much like yourself, man, I, I I had the the application of the Ford staffing plan on the county, half filled out. All I had to do was pass the drug test, which is formality. I, you know, it wasn't wasn't it wasn't an issue for me. But I kept staring at it. And my wife's looking at me. She's right, you know, you know, hey, how are we gonna make the house payment? <laughs> she's probably a little nervous. Um, you know, and she says, but she's the one who says she goes, Why don't you try doing this on your own? What do you mean? Doing this, <laughs> <laughs> you know? and and so that's that's how it started for me. And you're talking about mine was filtered too. <laughs> <laughs> I can smoke that in a comparison. Uh, uh, those well, canister vacuums. <laughs> 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 uh, I worked for Filter Creek, ten bucks an hour. Commission, <laughs> and, and, and uh, I was doing that while I was laying carpet during the day, and and then I gave up on that because I was a terrible salesman. Absolutely horrific salesman. As it turns out, I can sell myself, not a problem. All right. And, and uh, then I went, uh, I bartended while I worked. And then uh, bartending, as it turns out, you learn how to sell things when you bartend, right? Should have done it the other reverse order. <laughs> but uh, but um, uh, yeah, for, for me, if it weren't for my wife and, and kid and having having Chuck, uh, making, coming home to Chuck, my goodness, and, and Kathy, if I, you know, if you don't provide for your kids, then then you know the the I guess maybe the guilt and the the feeling of failure push push you pushing you there and keep pushing you and it keep pushes you and until now, Angel, you're gonna have your first kid here, or you're gonna get that space. All right, you're gonna get that space where you're gonna come in. Your, your wife's watching on Facebook. She's well, stand online. Let, let me tell you something. You can fail at anything in life. That's one thing you can't fail at as long as you're there, right? If you're there for your kids, you don't fail. Uh, you don't fail because you're their hero no matter what, right? But you also find out that that love you have for your kids or, or for your wife, man, that drives you. And, and that really drives you. That makes you do things that you didn't think you're capable of doing before in a good way. <laughs> you know, in a, in a good way. And I got to tell you, my my wife is still a, a, like the strongest person in my life, right? I'll come home tonight and she'll tell me exactly what I didn't do today on the way home. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, but with, without that in my life, I, I, man, I, guys, I was happy being a front carpet installer. I, you know, 19 years old, I had my own truck and tools. I was 1099 and, and, and not paying any taxes. Don't get me wrong. I didn't care. I didn't care. I had enough money to go to a bar like Joey would have. I mean, I was the patron at a place like that, holding up the hundred dollars, saying, "I got this round. <laughs> I got this round." You know, I made seven hundred dollars that week, and, and by by Monday morning, I had maybe a hundred dollars in my pocket. I had to supply. I had to buy. I had to buy supplies. I had to pay for gas. You know, and and, and oh goodness gracious, got to eat sometime this week. <laughs> you know? And somehow I had to make that uh, somehow I had to make that go through and and without cat, nah, never would never would have. Dave, how long were you um, in that position before you met your wife? Well, here's the thing: she was there all along. All right, <laughs> well, we were we were. Uh, I met my wife just after I got out of high school. Uh, we were we were friends more than anything else. Uh, she lived in a different state. We we would you know. But uh, we had our own things going on, and um, I, 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 I like to think that uh, I, I like to think that I was surprised. But uh, we all know that's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but what it, what it was was we were we were two kids trying to figure our way out, right? We we're trying to figure our way. We we helped each other grow up, and um, at the end of the day, with, by having Chuck. And she had Chuck, my goodness, we got married. She was still 19 years old, I think. Uh, no, she just turned 20 when we got married. So so we were we were really young, you know, and, and we we did a lot of we made a lot of mistakes together. And then along comes Chuck. So now mind you, she's the mom. She grows up in a hurry. 
All right, me, I'm playing softball on 17, 17, six nights a week, <laughs> disappearing for the weekend yeah, to Colorado to play in a tournament. You know, and I'm having the time of my life. And she's, and she's, and she's raising uh, Chuck by her, pretty much by herself. And uh, she threw a fit, you know, she threw a fit and it got to me. Uh, it got to me one night and, and I came home, I, I came home from working. And we had uh, me and my little brother, and, and we, you guys all hear me tell stories about my little brother. But we've been working together, and and if we had a, a few. I show up at home. She cooked, you know. She she cooked, and and uh, I I um uh, <laughs> I had eaten, <laughs> you know. And so what? I I don't need to. I don't need to eat. I don't need to eat. So my wife is five foot three. She took that hamburger. And she made it a sloppy joe in my mouth. <laughs> and you know what I did? I stood there and I took it. Okay, <laughs> she smashed it up in my mouth. But it, but it, it it actually scared me because I got so mad. I, I got so mad at her that that uh, I'm thinking things that aren't right for a husband to think, right? And so what do I do? I leap for the night. Um, I go to the gym and shots and hoops. But uh, when I do that, I'm thinking. You know, you're thinking, and you're thinking by yourself. You're thinking by yourself. You're going, what an idiot. So I talked to my dad. And my dad, by the way, I had a great, great parents. Talk to my dad. I tell my dad, I says, I says you know, I'm leaving. And my dad tells me, you know what he says? He says, you should leave. No, I said, you should. You obviously don't love her. Well, no, no, I didn't say that. He said, I didn't love her. I said, I'm leaving her because she don't love me. I says, well, does she know you love her? I'm like, gosh darn it, Dad! <laughs> you know why you have to do that to me? You have to make me think that I'm wrong, right? And you know what? I was wrong. <laughs> I was wrong. But uh, uh, if it weren't for conversations like that, and pe there's always been people, God puts people in your way, right? He puts people in your way to when you're making all your bad decisions. Don't get me wrong; half the time you still make them, but they're still there, right? And they're still there. The people that they put in the way, and and uh, so so for me. Yeah, geez, oh, Pete's. I wasn't a hireable person at all. When you talk about that, I mean, I was, I was, uh, um, I'm granted really good with my hands, but I was the clubhouse lawyer. You know, and the clubhouse lawyer is a guy that nobody really wants working for him. He's a necessity as an installer because you need to have good installers, but you don't really want that guy because that guy's the idiot that tells you everything you sold is wrong. And, um, and so it, it took me a second to catch on. It really did. And, um, uh, thank goodness I did, you know, because uh, like I said, I well, I got a mortgage to pay and and no job, and then I started started doing it on my own, and, and it worked out for me, right? And now I no longer um, no longer run a company, but you know I, I did end up with a CFI. And I got to tell you, telling that story, and you look at these installers, and they're all walking the same path. We all have the same issues in life, right? You look at the salespeople, they all have the same issues. When you get to talk to salespeople, they, 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 you know it because we all live in the same lives together. We're all living in the same community. We're all living the, and, and the thing about it is we help each other grow, right? And for instance, your, your story helps, right? Your story, when you and I talk, your story, when we share, we share our stories, they help each other grow. And that's, and that's how we do it as people. And when you grow as people, what happens? Your business starts growing. Because you're growing as a person, and you you handle situations better. You handle the little things in life just a little bit, a little bit differently because of the relationships you make, and because you learn how to deal with them as you grow. So the the right time to do something is, I mean, get out the boat, see how it works. When you it feels it right, work, I think, right? What's that? Well, well, I was just saying when it feels right, like yeah, it never feels yeah, just jump out and do it. Yeah, that's just it, Paul. Uh, you say when it, and you're right, when you say it, when it feels right, it's never going to feel right if you wait. If you wait, well, never. tell people is I'm the installer, walk through an open door. The doors were open, I recognized them, I walked through them. Ended up with this great company, right? But uh, I, I did that not because it, it never felt right. Don't get me wrong. We were going out of business more than we were in business. And yeah, it always felt- I feel it, that in my soul. Oh, yeah. It always felt like it, you know, because at the end of the day, my wife would be coming to me and she'd say, you know, we got everybody paid, but we don't have enough for the mortgage, right? 
but and that's and that's the top. That's because you're you're paying all your employees first. Those guys come first. That's why you're staying in business. And, and then and then and then you're sitting there, and so you're living off a credit card, you know, to make sure everybody else is taken care of. And it eventually, it works its way out because you figure out where your money's going. You figure out how not to spend money on the frivolous stuff. And the frivolous stuff for me was spending time with other people, you know. And and uh, you know, I got to tell you something. You're going out with other people, and they all expect you to buy. You're with the wrong people. It took <laughs> me forever to flip. It, it really did. Um, you, you know, uh, we go out to the bar after softball, after softball, and, and and I'd be paying for three rounds, and I come home the next day, and you know, when I say I'd be come home the next day by four o'clock in the morning, I'm showing up at home from the bar after softball, right? My wife's getting up to go to work. You know, and here I am, I'm showing up. And and those that's always a problem as well. You don't want to be that guy. And, and uh you don't want to be that guy. That's uh that's a that's a tough way to go. And it took me a while to figure it out. Uh, I think especially as installers, right? Because uh you, you look at the industry and uh especially being in the industry for this long, we're we're looked kind of down upon as installers because you know, we are riddled with people that are alcoholics and drug addicts and stuff like that. And and those are the the type of guys that do end up starting their own business, not because they know what they're doing, but because out of necessity, right? No, no one else is going to hire them. So that's what they do. But those are also the types of people that never learn from any of their mistakes. They're just, they're always going to be working for that beer at the end of the day or for whatever, you know, whatever they're addicted to. And the, that, that's the thing is the people that are listening to this are listening to this because they're looking for that outlet. They're looking for that story where I was an alcoholic and I realized that, you know, something had to change. My wife stuffed the, my mouth full of hamburger and, you know, you, you did. You had to reflect on that by yourself. And then you talk to your dad and realize that, man, that this is my fault. It's like, what am I going to do to change? And unless you make that realization you're always going to be in the same spot but the the fact of the matter is, is that you started from somewhere and you're at where you're at now because of learning from all of your mistakes and all your failures and i think that like if if i had this 10 years ago and i would if i could have listened to your story 10 years ago or dave's story 10 years ago or even our story 10 years ago and knowing that you have to fail. You have to put yourself out there and be willing to fail in order to grow. I think we would have been a lot further along right now. Yeah, a lot of it, in my experience. Angel has something to say, too. Go ahead, Paul. No, I was just going to say a lot of it, in my experience, is when I say that, like, the when it feels right, we all get that, like, idea about starting your business. and And not procrastinating in that moment they did it out of necessity uh you know in my uh case we got i i made pretty good money as a employee installer and then doing jobs on the side but the company i worked with uh were worked for at the time was getting ready to get bought out like the third or fourth time and i just decided that i uh if this is going to be the way it is, I'll go start my own. And me and a, one of the PMs went and started our own thing. And, you know, talk about your wives and how family plays into it. My wife, you know, was a stay-at-home mom and, and um, out of necessity. She couldn't really uh, work because of the, some health conditions. But um, – I made like almost 60 K that last year. And I go to my wife and I'm like, Hey, I'm going to go start this business. And I know we only got 1500 bucks, but I'd like to buy a fax machine and uh, <laughs> we're going to start this thing. We're going to, we're going to make millions of dollars. Right. The fact is, is if I wouldn't have jumped or launched or whatever you want to say, it never would have happened. And uh, I could have talked myself out of that real quick, but, out of the support with my wife and the uh gumption to just give it a shot you know we started a business that grew rapidly and i bought my partner out in 03 and the rest is history so like when when we talk about the right timing 
there is no perfect time. There's some good practices you ought to put in place, like some proper planning. A lot of this ought to come to uh, our audience to understand that there are some some hardships that have been shared here, not to say that you have to go that direction, but maybe avoid some of those pitfalls that, that some of us have experienced and, um, you know, create a company that, that does not have to go through all those hardships. You're always going to have failure. You just got to learn from it. So that's all. That's all I got to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> so pretty much, um, pretty much, I know I'm off camera here, but pretty much what you're saying is that uh, when we're growing up and all those older people that gave us advice and information that could lead us to be a better person and make the right decisions without having to experience failure, that's kind of what we're trying to do here, right? Like everybody's going to do it again on their own time, their own free will, but take some of the information that you're gathering here from, from everyone who's here today, from everyone who's going to be here tomorrow, take some of that information and retain it and, and use some of it. You don't have to do step by yeah. step. This isn't a template. We're not giving you um, advice for your life. We're just trying to help you um, in, in your forward progress of your, your business. That's, that's pretty much all it is. And, and take it for what it is, not for, for, for what it is for you, not what it is or what it was for everyone else. This is all information. Everybody's taking a different route and to them has experienced success for them from where they started to where they're at now. Um, fail as much as yep. you can. Fail, 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 as fail, much fail. As you can. You're There's not failing, you're not trying. Losers because losers are too afraid to try. There's no crime in falling. That's what you Thank get you. a thick skin. You know, if you you know you, you need you need that thick skin, and you get it by by screwing up a bunch of times and learning from your mistakes. When that missile's going off yep. course, it learns from its mistakes. As it you know, oh, it's off course thirty degrees. Okay, we'll shift it back this way. Shift it back this way. Shift yep. it back this way. And eventually, you get it centered. It's trial and error. Life is trial and trial and error. Business is trial and error. But if you sit on the sidelines, you know, trying to come up with a perfect plan and being too afraid to to get out there and fail, get up there and fail. You know, the biggest failure is not trying. Yeah, Angel, what you got? Um, I don't know. I'm to talk to because I mean, I don't got big businesses and I don't got cool stories like you guys. You will. Yeah, hey, man, you're you're still but, uh, you're still fairly fairly new though, right? I I I I try to listen to like Stephen Colby and Brian Tracy. I I, I, do, I do try to try to repeat those things as well because yeah, I mean, you, you do need a you do need to have that information like this podcast or little books or people around you to kind of teach you that stuff because I think a lot of a lot of what it comes down to is what you surround yourself with and the people you surround yourself with yeah. and and living in an information age that we do right now we're we're paying attention to this paying attention to that we're, we're on the phone either dedicating minutes that turn into hours to something that's not going to benefit us in a year or two years so I think I think the struggle I don't want to say it for me because I don't I don't like excuses but in, in general experiences not excuses experience yeah in general it's it's difficult for people to kind of aim for that like you said and and fail because they don't have that 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 community or that you know that, that kind of um that that it, like they don't have that hardship where they break down you know in in in, in the in, in, in the like second or i don't know like a, a drunken state in the middle of the road where they're just like their pressure up and they know that their life flashes in front of them or their their significant others putting that much pressure, you know, because not everybody has that. But I don't know what's that, that mental strength is. Yeah, that, that, that kind capacity. of um, that that luck, you know, to have such good people around them. And sometimes they do have people that are just, you know, it's their phone that that's their community. If their people around them that's their community. So I mean I, I think chasing that chasing that like community is it's essential right because i mean um i think i think i've been in solitude for like the past three years in that in that sense or they're like let's go do this you know come to this let's do this like I'm, I'm trying to teach like that's the hardest part is letting go of the, the familiar the familiarity of where you're used to right i, mean, I, I always say like it's human nature to hate change right humans don't like change but if you you're not changing something you're always going to get what you're got, right well i mean one of the one of my favorite things is your network is your net worth like who you hang out with and who you choose to spend your time with and what what you choose to consume online 
equals out to, to where you're going. The, a thread throughout all these conversations is personal development and the desire to get better at stuff. Absolutely. So, and I, if, you, if you think about it just uh, a few years ago, you know, none of us would have, I never would have thought we'd be in here all talking together, but it's the, those experiences and reaching out, you know, Paul reached out to us, then we reached out to Paul. We've been reaching out to Dave. Um, you know, we've, we've been fortunate enough to realize that it's, it's important to put yourself out there regardless of how like introverted you are, because I know it's hard as an introvert. I'm fairly introverted as well, but to put yourself out there and just be able to say and, and realize I don't know everything, but I do know something. So I need to learn from someone, but also I can be a teacher and let people learn from the experiences I've already had. And just, just put yourself out there. And that that's the same thing with starting a business. It's just put yourself out there and start doing it and make sure that you're, you're picking up little bits of information along the way and start implementing them. I think that's the biggest thing is having the information and doing nothing with it. If, if someone's giving you the information and all it's doing is sitting there, then you're just failing yourself at that point. So. And you, and you see it here, like some of the information that you can get is just uh, past experiences along your way. Um, you know, selling vacuums, you know, you got to deal with people. Uh, coming home and realizing that the hamburger at home tastes a lot better than the hamburger at the bar. Um, so, yeah, you know, and it's just for, for for me, I think it was the realization that I was leading people without knowing I was leading people. And I was putting people in a bad position by keeping myself in a bad position. So it was time to make a change and I had to make a change for myself. It had to be my idea and being an entrepreneur is in you from day one. You just have to realize uh, it takes more than just yourself to unlock it sometimes and surrounding yourself by like-minded people and or surrounding your, yourself with people where you think you want to be. It'll get you on the right path. It might take a little bit longer than than some, some others, but it'll get you on the right path. Um, so the best time to start a business is today, next week, next month. Anytime you decide yes, I'm doing it. That's the best time. And if you ever need to reach out, I'm sure, you know, everyone in here is pretty open to, to talking to anyone at, at some point. So, I mean, I, I appreciate you guys for, for being hey, Jimmy in the background. Today. Sorry, brother. <laughs> Jimmy's taking it all in. He's from Indiana, man. Yeah. Yeah, actually, he's from Michigan. Yeah, I'm a, oh, okay. Wolverine. He's all right. <laughs> you're that. You're that. He's a Wolverine. That's right. That's right. Go blue. Go blue. Go blue. Yeah, That's right. stay. <laughs> no little brother. But that, like, no, I, I love the the flooring community. I love everyone that you know has has participated and uh and you know engaging with us online and listening to everything that that we have to say. Even though you know sometimes we think that it's pointless and it does get redundant because everything ties together. Um, we all go through the same things. Jorge is, you know, on here constantly and, you know, he'll, he'll reach out to me from time to time just to say hi, you know, and you create friendships through things like this. And I appreciate everyone that's here. Thank you to everyone that's listening. Thank you, Paul. For, uh, Joining us, man. I think you were going to make it today. It was a tough one. It's one of those, uh, one of those things you got to do in business. So I get to the office and and find out that we had to have a bid that we thought was just a, a normal bid was a sealed bid opening with a bid bond. And we were two hours from bid opening and an hour and a half away from the job. So luckily I got a good bonding company that got me a, a bid bond. And um, I hustled down to Ponca City, Oklahoma to deliver it. So uh, luckily, I could make it. Yeah. If you're ever looking for an installer in Wichita, I know a guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think is. Uh, let's see. How would we say the best way to describe Mr. Dwayne Pruitt? <laughs> Dusty High. Dusty High Dwayne. The the other PF. But I want to I want to thank everybody for contributing and. Um, Again, I apologize for getting here late, but thank you again to Daniel and Jose and everybody 
you guys put together for this uh, podcast, it was, I found myself listening a heck of a lot more and just kind of taking everything in. I, I get to learn. That's another thing I, I think that you can, if you're looking to be an entrepreneur, be a consummate learner. Like I'm 47 years old and I still learn stuff. I took notes during this podcast. <laughs> I took notes during this podcast because, you know, never stop learning. So I want to thank everybody for coming. We've reached the end of our hour here and um, appreciate the input. And uh, yeah, thanks a lot, guys. I appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you, Paul. We'll see you uh, next week. I'm, I'm sure we'll talk before then. Nice to meet you, Paul. Yes, sir. Nice to meet you guys. All right. Have a good one. All right.